0: Hello, and welcome to Prestige, all about films, filmmaking, film theory, and filmmakers. This last comes to the fore in the third season of our podcast, where we're going to be focusing on specific directors and taking each one for four weeks at a time, having a look at some of their films. And we are um, deep in the work of Catherine Bigelow at the moment, so that's where we'll be continuing this week. with our usual talk around the film, reviewing it, discussing some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And we end with recommendations of further reading, further watching, inspired by each film that we look at. But first of all, we kick off discussions with a talk about what else we've been looking at, what else we've been watching this week.
1: So you first, Rob. So... Uh, A little bit behind the scenes guys We are recording this episode quite quickly after our last episode uh, For various personal reasons So I've only had a chance to watch one film since our our last record And I was tweeting about it last night on Twitter if anyone follows me there And that is the 1987 film The Pink Chiquitas You miss out the word classic Stone Cold (laughs) Oscar winning classic The Pink Chiquitas It's in many ways in the the Roger Corman, Russ Mayer catalogue of films, a meteorite lands in a small town America, and all the women turn into sex crave nymphos. And a local sheriff, a bumbling local sheriff, and a super cool PI who is in the area are forced to investigate. The PI is played by Frank Stallone, younger brother of Sly Stallone. Uh, He's probably the only name, if you can call him that, in the film. It's weird. A lot of these films can come off quite sexist, but this one manages to hold the line of it being a bit more empowering than that. Uh, the men are more bumbling idiots than the women, certainly, and it's it's a good bit of fun. It's, it, it knows it's silly. It knows it's kind of you know knows what the kind of film it is, and it plays up to that. It plays up that kind of Americana low budgetness. It's not for everyone. I think I joked on Twitter that it probably wasn't for Sam, but it was for me, and I very much enjoyed it. So, yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, um, if you follow me, you probably are. The Pinker Chiquitas from 1987.
0: Sam? Yes, uh, as you've, you've already explained, we I haven't had a lot of time to watch things this week. I want to go back a couple of weeks to when I watched or rewatched the film of Atonement, um, based on Ian McEwan's novel. And I want to talk about this because I... I I very much enjoyed the, the rewatching of it. I want to talk about it in, in particular for there is one brilliant camera shot, um, and it I suppose it's relevant at the moment because of all the talk of Nolan and Dunkirk and this is this is a, a similar thing, this tracking shot over the the bodies on, on a beach in France and the downtime before they get evacuated, um, and tension builds through music. And there's no dialogue, and you follow the main characters, the main actors. And there's a sort of focus on casual acts of brutality. You get to the point where at the end of this shot, this sort of three or four minute shot, one single shot, that you realise that Robbie's not going to make it home. And that's what this shot is all about, that's what this film is all about. And his life really has been destroyed and there is no atonement. So it seems to be quite central to the whole film. I've talked about certain scenes before as being my favourite, not necessarily in my favourite films. I think this would be one. I wouldn't at all say atonement was anywhere near one of my favourite films. But this scene I really love. I think it's it's worth rewatching just for that scene itself.
1: Fair enough. I must say I've not seen Atonement or Dunkirk at this point, so uh, I'll add it to the list. This week, guys, as Sam has already said, we are carrying on with our Catherine Bigelow month. But this week, we are looking at her two thousand and two film, K nineteen, The Widowmaker. The Americans have forward deployed a George Washington class submarine with Polaris nuclear missiles. Fortunately, our response is still in dry dock. He was the elite of the Russian Navy. To undertake an exercise of this scope may be, with respect, premature. There is no doubt in my mind that K-19 is ready to fulfill her mission. The pride of the high command. Sea trials begin in two weeks. The boat isn't ready. We deliver or we drown. The shield of Mother Russia. No sailors have been given such a boat as K-19 is the finest submarine in the world. K-19 Medwika or K-19 as I'll probably call it from now on, is a tale of a Russian submarine based on a true story, and I think based on is an important turn of phrase there. Uh, the first properly operational nuclear submarine from the Soviet Union. And this is the tale of its maiden voyage to the Arctic to test fire missile, and then on to uh, the Americas for its mission. There is a catastrophic engine reactor failure and and it is the tale of them as a as a unit coming together falling apart solving that issue and uh whilst not overcoming it but certainly surviving it it has two strong leads in harrison ford and liam neeson uh, but with strong support from a lot of actors who you'd recognize from many places and once again directed by kathleen bigelow sam having now three weeks into Catherine Bigelow what are your thoughts on K-19?
0: I thought this film was was a mixed bag really um, there were times that were where the, the attention was built brilliantly and there were some nicely edited shots and I suppose the interior shots of the submarine in times of crisis were, were really really exciting really enjoyable to watch and then there were other times where I just got bored and did something else. So I, I think the, this follows on, I suppose follows on quite nicely from the Weighted Water last week. This is another example, I think, I think of Catherine Bigelow trying to do something and sometimes it coming off quite well and sometimes it just not quite hitting the mark. You have, I mean, you've talked about the... the Strong leads: Liam Neeson, Harrison Ford. Although Harrison Ford's Cod Russian accent does slip with alarming regularity, and there was some great support. I really do like Peter Sarsgaard as an actor. Um, I think he should be in a lot more. And you saw him. Um, well, he's he's been in more films recently. Uh, I think this was the first film, first major film people would have seen him in. Um Yeah, so mixed bag. I thought it was it was great in places, not great in others. What were your thoughts?
1: Um I suppose I would I would echo that his thoughts. I think it's probably about half an hour too long. Mm. Um I know I level that, that, that criticism at a lot of films, but this film clocks in about two hours, twelve minutes, 13 fifteen minutes. And I genuinely think there is no reason for any film to cross the two-hour mark um, if it intends to be anyway commercial. Mm. Um, I think that this, you could easily cut a good half an hour out of this and keep, have a much tighter, much much more sort of tense story. I think mm. you're right. I think there are some great performances here, um, Sarsgaard particularly, but also a lot of the Russians and... and Especially those who end up sacrificing themselves to uh, to deal with the reactor, that that you really feel the uh, the sort of the heartbreak and the uh, the determination of them. But you're right; it it bores at points. You kind of wander off, and it seems to be telling several stories, and some of them kind of go nowhere. The, The tension between Liam Neeson's character and Harrison Ford's character, which felt like it was building towards something kind of never went anywhere and the about face that we see kind of see from neeson um if you can call it that didn't feel earned in many no, ways it
0: No, didn't, it didn't feel like i could see what the, i knew exactly what was going to happen in that scene and mm. i was a bit frustrated by it because like you said it's not earned it doesn't come from anywhere
1: i think we, i mean we are coming at this from a, a western democratic point of view and a lot of this film makes sort of weight and leans on the idea of the rush of the Russian party and the communist spirit, and that's a very different kind of outlook on on your place in the world as part of a country, as part of a team. So it, it's not, I think it's hard to explain. The film doesn't do a lot of work to. Explain that, but we touched on that previously with Kevin Bigelow. That she's very much a drop you into the story and pick it up as you go kind of director, which mm. works brilliantly in things like Point Break and one of them we aren't talking about in, in this month, her uh, film Strange Days, where you kind of you, you drop into this world and you just kind of have to run with it. Uh, but that only works when the viewers can have a touchstone to what's going on. You know, you, you, you don't, Whereas with this, because it's often such an alien world, a military world, a Russian military world from the Cold War. Sometimes you're left floundering. I'm like, well, why would you do that? Why? Why in the world would that happen? Like, it doesn't make sense. The Harrison Ford character doesn't seem like a hero. He just seems like a dickhead. Yeah. And I understand based on true story, so there's a there's a weight of that to the story. Um, and the film sort of relies on that kind of teamwork, that camaraderie, that kind of uh, spirit. And there's a little the argument that they have Liam Neeson and Harrison Ford in which they talk about, no, they're they're they are now a unit. They are now a submarine, and they will do things together. But it just didn't feel earned in that in that way. It felt, as we discussed before, there's a good film in here, and some of the scenes are very tense. But it doesn't it doesn't pull it all together somehow for me.
0: It also left me with a bit of a bad taste thinking about Harrison Ford, Ford's character because basically the the plus of the entire film and the I mean deaths of seven and then later twenty more. Um, Russian sailors from radiation poisoning can be put down to the hubris of this Russian captain who wanted to dive to assert, assert his authority, and he says, "Well, it must have ruptured, like the reactor must have ruptured in the three hundred meter dive that we did." Mm. So, and you think, well, there was no reason for him doing that. He was just trying to, like, as I said, assert his authority, put his stamp on the crew. And you didn't find out that there was any reason for that. I think mean, it would have much, been much more compelling if, if that story arc had come from somewhere and gone to somewhere else.
1: Yeah, it just, it just I mean, this is one thing we come up against in, in sort of true world stories, or even films that would tend to take place in a true world, is you are, you're pinned by certain things. Like some things have to happen in story to make it make it work. Now, this film isn't U Five Seven One, in which they notoriously just threw history out with the bathwater and uh, made their own story. It isn't as far as that, but they clearly have these touch points to make. But yeah, you, you're you're right. I think it, it, it doesn't it doesn't hang together well. I will say that the whilst it isn't up there with something like Das Boot, which is probably the, the high water mark for Sabrina films, the tension that's built in some of the um, underwater in, inside the submarine scenes when you know, it's everyone tends together they're very very good and you see Catherine Bigelow's sort of following someone through a space hmm. uh, trick, the camera motions when, they, when they, they go between levels and you follow down as they come Thing the camera follows people around, you do get a very definite sense of space and a physical kind of feeling to where they are which in some other films are lost when you clearly feel this is a this is a um, Set of, some sets whereas this it feels like a lived in place
0: yeah yeah definitely something I mean sort of bring, bring around to a, a theme that we might start to look at now is just carrying on from this idea of I suppose the, the Russian party the communist sensibilities behind some of the characters actions is the idea of teamwork of camaraderie and how Catherine Biglow's film becomes an exploration of that. Mm. I don't think, as we, we've, well, we, we've established, I don't want to dwell on it, that I don't think it's entirely earned. Um, but I do think she's reaching for something here about teamwork, about the, the formation of a team.
1: No, I, I, I think you're right. I think the idea of teamwork and camaraderie and, and loyalty... Are a, mm. are a big theme through this i think it worked for me i noticed several themes this running through one of which is the camaraderie of of the workers uh, shall we call them the, the soldiers the the naval men on the on the ground uh there's scenes of them teasing each other um and you know one bring, one brings a rat and gets teased for it and, and there's a lot of kind of that kind of masculine back and forth thing that uh, goes on in real world groups of friends and you feel like that and then and there's a scene later on in which they all kind of moon a, a US helicopter mm. and that felt like a real kind of team like, like it wasn't the kind of traditional, like them all playing football on the ice it felt like a, like a group of friends a group of people would do um, but you've also got the idea of, of loyalty and camaraderie among the higher ups in the party and each other and as we discussed there's a scene in which two members of the crew don't mutiny but one of them uses his authority to remove Hanson Ford from command uh, presuming that they had earned or had the loyalty in the camaraderie of, of the old captain it turns out they didn't mm. but, but that the, the, the um sort of the, the chief who uh, who set that in motion he presumed he had he had the support he had he was part of that team um, but it turns out that he was actually he was by himself and he was betraying the team he betraying the family um Against each other,
0: yeah. I think it's interesting the way that this film is an exploration of camaraderie, as you said, at all levels and the relationships between higher ups in the party as well as those in the rank and file. It's an interesting one,
1: yeah. It's it, it's kind of as they as as Patton says in this, you know, they all get through this. That they'll find that edge and they'll go beyond it because they're a team. And they do, and they do, and and one of the, the big sort of moments in the film is Sarsgaard's character who initially balked out on the first round of, of work stepping up and doing it on the second one for for the team he's aware that he's going to die he's aware that he isn't getting out of this one alive and he's aware that he has a, a wife at home to get home to um, but his his journey through the film from sort of wide-eyed freshman to sort of terrified coward to almost a brave hero despite what he said at the end of the film that they, none of them were offered hero of the uh, Republic or period of the Soviet mm. um, makers he, his journey was a very interesting one that he took a while to embrace the idea of the team and the sacrifice for um, his crew but same instead of Ford Ford fought being picked up by um, America but in the end decided that was the way to save his team
0: I did, think, I did want to spend some time talking about Bigelow because as you said you've already said with the way that camera movement works in this film she does some really quite innovative things here i'm mean, now i'm taking one sort of, one moment right at the beginning where you know that the bottle is not going to break mm. because that's just what's going to happen but then she does something really clever with it the swinging bottle turns into a swinging torpedo in a later scene where they're hoisting a torpedo into place and it's sort of this smooth transition in the same way that you have I mean it's it's neither of our favourite films but it's it's a well known editing shot, it's the bone in two thousand and one being thrown up mm. and turning into a space shuttle. It's that sort of idea, this movement allowing a, a switch between scenes. So yeah. the, the the film is full of clever little match things cut. That
1: should... Is the is the phrase looking for there? Thank you. Um, yeah. In which the movement of one cut is, is is contrasted with the movement in the next shot. Um, but yeah, that is interesting. And I think that the, that the that ties into a bit we talked briefly the kind of the tension and dread through this film. Like obviously you go into this film knowing a little bit of what's going to happen, but all the early stuff of the tests and the bottle not breaking, um, and almost maybe hubris of the um, high command that you do end up with this real sense of, something's going to go wrong, something's going to go wrong here. And you think it's going to be, you know, when he drops down to, you no know, crush depth, and it isn't that, and they, you get this kind of weird relief moment in which they kind of successfully launch a mission and stuff, but then this hits. So there's a great kind of way they kind of build it up, release it a little bit so you think you're over the worst, and then they hit you with the bad stuff. Mm. Um, but I think that didn't that work, because you you saw that's one but i thought it did work because you see the the team the kind of camaraderie of the crew build it may be in in conflict with harrison ford's captain you know you see them complaining about um to each other and there's a scene in which harrison ford says is they're no, 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 "No, complaining but you see them coming together as this kind of this unit of workers against their captain um because he's putting them off all these tests which is why when it comes to the um the scenes in which the they have to deal with the reactor, you buy their dedication to each other because of that.
0: Yes, and you buy the fact that until the second scene, the second sequence, Peter Sarscott isn't a part of that.
1: No, he he's certainly being new and the distance there. Um, I think, I think yeah, you know, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting. I think as you say, the film doesn't pull all these strands together very well at times, um, and. We talk, but we talk about camaraderie and teamwork. And I think we'd be remiss to not talk about the end scene of the film, mm. uh, set what uh, twenty years later, days later, um, in which the the now elderly captains meet up to discover that it's I think it's twenty eight years after the event, um, and they've met with all the remaining crew members for some sort of ceremony. And that felt once again like an unearned moment. But I thought it was very interesting that suddenly all these people who had different rank and file um, during their time in the military and there'd be a very clear hierarchy uh, while military, now almost all of them being ex-military, it was just a mass of people. It was just a, a not faceless, but certainly indistinct group of men um, who came together. And the idea that they were then, this this experience, no matter what, formed them into this unbreakable unit mm. um, that can still come together 30 years later and still have a moment and a shared experience.
0: It'll be interesting to see, as we move into the final week of Catherine Bigelow, how that develops next week, how mm. she looks at male military relationships in the Hurt Locker.
1: Before you head towards the recommendations, one thing I want to say is, we talked about in um, Point Break about machismo and macho men and how that film was a reaction to that i don't want to dive into it too deeply but isn't it this film is about it's entirely male there's no women in the entire film apart from Mm. a brief scene of saying goodbye and it's about masculine men doing masculine things but it doesn't have that same kind of combative um masculine male male sort of jockeying for position that you see in other films uh this is how it builds that camaraderie you talked about that it presents male as good and bad and strong and weak but not in the kind of competitive male world we're often sort of presented to in films mm. uh, that's a whole other podcast and a whole other whole other area but i thought it was interesting that you can see this through line of masculinity and once we move into next week's film i think i'll come to the fore again a little bit and how how kevin bigelow handles what traditionally would be very masculine very male roles mm. right then rob do you have uh, recommendations for us I do have some recommendations for you so I've got two and both this time I'm going on actors I thought you know a thematic one there's some very obvious thematic ones that I won't touch on Um, so I just took two actors who I like and films of theirs I want to recommend first of all is one we talked about a lot which is uh, Sarsgaard Um, he was in a film from last year called The Magnificent Seven it got a lot of short um, shift from critics but I was very much a fan um, of, of the remake of 7 he plays the bad guy he plays the uh, the evil um, Bartholomew Bogue he plays it with aplomb he plays it with relish and glee and I very much enjoy him as part of that film mm. it's good to see him getting work at that kind of level where he is you know, headline stars of, of a um, of a big film like that as you say he's a, he's a one to watch secondly I wanted to recommend an actor called Michael Gladys who you may have missed in the film, he played a character whose name I'm just looking to look up now, called Yevgeny Bozenkov. Just one of the, uh, the the sort of the sailors on the ship. More probably well known from his role in Mad Men. Um, for many years, he he played Paul Kinsey um, in Mad Men. And Mad Men's recommendation. I've talked about it in the past. I love that show. Went off for sort of what five years. Um, it was one of the best sort of prestige tv shows of our generation i think and he was in it throughout um if you haven't watched mad men you don't need to tell you how good it is so he's good in that and it was lovely to see a younger version of him i didn't know he was in this until i saw the film uh bringing his his talent to this so those are my two uh mad men and magnificent seven sam
0: great um i've gone for two actors as well think in steering clear of submarine films we've both avoided that um so yeah if you want to see submarine film go and watch Das boot or hunt for Red october but the two films that i want to talk about that come from actors the first is from liam neeson and it wasn't Given much of a critical reception at the time, it's not an amazing film, but it's an urgent, intense thriller, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's 2011's Unknown. It has a fairly simple premise, it's the identity theft of a businessman after a car crash, but it's just well done, and it's not too long, and it's not too overblown, it's just nice and tightly plotted and worth watching. My second one um to second act I want to dwell on is Donald Sumter who plays the medical officer. He's also in the American Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I've talked about quite recently as being a terrible film, so that's not the recommendation this week. <laughs> The recommendation this week is one uh, that people raved about at the time and it garnered awards and critical acclaim but I haven't really heard much about it in the intervening 12 years. It's 2005's The Constant Gardener and I'd be interested to go back and re-watch it because I remember watching it thinking, well, is this great? Is this as good as everyone said it is? I'm not sure. So it'd be interesting to go back and uh, have a look at that one. Excellent.
1: See? Well, guys, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with, our con- or next week or the week after, depending on how things go with us, the concluding part of our Catherine Bigelow month. We'll be looking at The Hurt Locker. Um, till then, you can find us both on Twitter at Pretty Podcast. you find just me at Life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you guys next week. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash kaijuindustries.